curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. This episode of the So You're In Sales Podcast is brought to you by Badger Maps. Do you work in field sales? Then you've experienced what I've experienced, leaving the house, driving around, visiting customers, and popping into potential new accounts without having a real plan of action. It's easy to waste time driving around until I tried Badger. Badger is a route planner for field sales teams, and it can help you sell up to 25% more by optimizing your driving routes and meeting schedule. Cool, right? Badger can knock 20% off the amount of time you spend driving around each day, and that's more time to get deals closed. Badger will also automatically update your customer information in your CRM, so it'll get your sales manager off your back too. Never be late to a sales meeting again and start your free trial of Badger Maps today by heading to badgermaps.com slash in sales podcast. That's badgermaps.com in sales podcast and start your free trial today. One of the biggest benefits that I've realized of doing this show for as long as I have has been the opportunity to bring certain guests back onto the show repeatedly. It's really interesting to hear how their viewpoint evolves over time, and some of the most listened episodes that we've ever had have been with these repeat guests like Paul Bellantone, who joins me at the end of every calendar year for a look back at the year that was, how it manifested itself within the promotional marketing industry and the economy as a whole. Paul has gone through a pretty sizable transition in his personal life and his career, and this conversation is a reflection of those changes, but it was really interesting to hear his thought process as he has made a very sizable transition in what it is that he does for a living. I thought it was a really interesting conversation. There's a lot to be learned from Paul in this discussion. I hope you enjoy it. Give it a listen. So, hey, uh, here we are. I looked at this recently uh, as to the list of episodes that you've joined me for over the history of the program, and you've been here since the early days, and yet it really, where we found our collective stride when it came to interviewee and subject is, interviewer and subject, is in these wrap-up shows. Yeah. And I didn't have enough time this year because I run a small business to go back and listen to all of the previous episodes, but they are amongst the most listened to shows that we have in the entire 116 episodes that comprise the So You're in Sales podcast. So no pressure, but thanks for coming back. And while this has remained the same, so 
much has changed in the process, but this is going to be really, really exciting. So I'm really grateful for you taking the time to spend some time with me as we wrap up this year and look back on the previous 12 months that just were. Yeah, I, I have no guarantees on this one, Roger. Um, in, in my former role as the, the CEO of PPAI, there were, there were a couple of these every few weeks and toward the end of the year, I was, I was in the rhythm of giving the wrap up. You always ask different questions. You always approached it from a different perspective. This is it. I, I haven't had a podcast or a, a webcast or an interview in, in months, actually. I had my first one a couple of months ago. Um, so I'm a, I'm a little bit out of practice. I'm, I'm going to see how this works out for us. Well, the thing I know about that absence is that you have completely enjoyed the anonymity that came along with not having to be in the rhythm of being the spokesperson for an entire industry. So let's just peel back the onion a little bit and see where we go with this. So the first thing I want you to know is I did a little research. Okay. The uh, press release came out on November 17th, 2020. Breaking news, Paul Bellantone resigns as president of PPAI. Yeah. So I think you single-handedly started the great resignation. Is that it? I've been blamed for a number of things, but it wasn't exactly a resignation. I chose not to renew my contract. So I didn't leave midstream. I gave five months, six months notice on the front end. But like we talked about last year, um, sometimes you just know it's time. And sometimes you know that from within, and sometimes you know it because of outside forces. This one was a collaboration between the two of them. How will I, how do I want to adapt to and grow in and face these outside forces that were affecting business, affecting family, affecting myself personally? And I chose, I initially chose to, to take a year off. That was actually my goal. When, if you do listen to last year's, I was going to take some time off, possibly retire, choose whether to stay in the industry or to uh, manage another association. I wound up having um, four days off. Mark <laughs> Simon gave me from Friday until I think the following Tuesday. So take a three-day weekend. But um, yeah, it, it, it's been in a really interesting year and I look forward to digging into you digging into it a little bit with you. Okay. So, and I, I knew that you would be humble and certainly I don't assign you responsibility nor credit for <laughs> what has become sort of a tidal wave of people making decisions about what they want the next phase of their careers to look like. But nonetheless, your decision in many ways was the harbinger of what became said tidal wave of people looking at what things used to be and saying, you know, not for right. sure. Right. Yeah. And so prior to this, Roger, and, and, you know, full disclosure, Roger and I spoke for two or three minutes before we got on here and we talked about how fortunate we are in our roles and in the roles that we have and where we've chosen to be. I, I believe that um, if, if in the past pre COVID, you wouldn't leave the roles that we had because they were, they were fabulous. You've made some choices to say, no, I'm going to go in this direction, even though it's not the easy one. I, I think had it not been for COVID, 
I probably would have accepted another term in the job because it was fabulous. It was, and I said it every year, the best job in the industry. Yeah. So I, I think it, I think it pushes, you know, so many of us are standing on that ledge when we do our little life evaluations. And this was just a little nudge that I needed to do something different. But I'll tell you about the great resignation that I'm so happy with now as an employer, very difficult finding people right now. Yeah. But the misconception is that people are sitting around taking free government money. And, you know, and, and until we stop doing that, we're not going to have full labor force anymore. Read the numbers on read, read the statistics on the number of entrepreneurs that have started their own businesses. Mm-hmm. To me, that's exciting. Some yeah. of them will find their way in their way into our industry. So many people have started their own businesses, whether, you know, um, just a a side gig or for some extra money that they've just decided to go, you know what, I'm going to be in this for fall and give it a shot. To me, there's real excitement in that great resignation. Um, I'm looking forward to some of the things that will come from that and people who've become entrepreneurs. It's exciting. Uh, Yeah, and whether... You look back on it and five, eight, ten years beyond when people will ask those same entrepreneurs how they got started. You know, the, the, that question will be rooted in such emotion around the end of what was just this unprecedentedly long run of prosperity. Yes. That we all were witness to that was stable and the funny part about it is many of the people that were faced with decisions in this pandemic were people who started their business in the great recession absolutely so we know from historical perspectives that times like these have a way of creating environments like the ones that you're describing that are just so right. fertile when it comes to the development of people who say you know what if I'm going to be broke for a while, I might as well do something that I really care about. Yes. You know, and to your point about me, like maybe I arrived at that decision a little sooner than other people who were forced into that decision making right. process. But nonetheless, when this all happened, I looked at what we were doing and said to myself, like, no, we're doing exactly what we should be doing at this moment. Right. Let's just approach it from a what would a brand like ours do in a moment like this and do that. Right. And and. I, I don't and I don't think that you give yourself enough credit, but it's those of us who watched you do that when you didn't have to, when there wasn't a pandemic or an economic crisis, looked at that and said, you know, other people have done this thing, you know, on, on, on any given day. Maybe this is the, the impetus I need to do it because, you know, we we've talked about this, that you took a, some big, bold steps creating a social good around what your um, around, around your passions before, you know, without that giant push, yeah. you could have very easily settled into something else and just had that be a side gig. You'd yeah. And then I most likely first. would be sitting here trying to figure out what to do just like everybody else. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> you would have. So it's just a, it's a matter of timing and luck sometimes. So, the thing that I've always enjoyed about you and your personality is um, while I believe you're a man of deep 
emotion, you are also really good at being a little bit of a disinterested observer and just being able to kind of watch what's happening and take it all in and internalize it and then formulate what you want your mark to be on things as they stand in that moment. You've had just enough time, in my opinion, to serve as that disinterested observer in your new role on the distributor side of the house. What have been some of the things that have been striking to you in that process that, uh, that me asking you this question kind of brings up? So, so you said disinterested observer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clarify that a little bit. Okay. Because of my role at the association, I was watching how suppliers and distributors and distributors and customers and suppliers and manufacturers interacted uh-huh. in my role was how does the association bring value to those transactions? Sure. So um, it seemed disinterested, and it may have seemed unengaged, but that voyeurism created value in some ways by being able to look at it. Always interested, just not day-to-day. I would make I would say it's the same as it's the same difference, the same difference as working on your business versus working in your there business. You, go. there you, you go. guys were in it. Yep. I was working on it. Yep. I am in it now. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I am in it head first. Um, I'm learning about all of the great things that come with being um, a distributor. I'm learning uh, I am learning those things during the difficulty of a pandemic and a supply chain shortage and a labor shortage and economic uncertainty. So I don't know. I don't know if what I'm learning is actually real life. Other distributors know is is it really relevant and will it be relevant when this pandemic, you know, when we get to the other side of the pandemic, it has been a wild freaking ride. Yeah. You know, we're, you know, so I, I speak for Halo, the company that I'm with, have the same challenges as every other distributor out there, you know, maybe with a little bit more leverage. We have a little bit more leverage to influence things, but I'm talking to distributors every day, either potentially recruits or just colleagues that are having problems with they can't get product and they can't get labor and they can't afford the labor that they can get because it's priced out. We just deal with that on a, a different scale. The other big change for me, when I was working with the association, my job was to advocate and grow the industry. Working specifically for one distributor company, my job is now to grow and protect our customers' brands. So again, it's working that from working on things to working in things. It's kind of macro, micro. The nature of the relationship that you're fostering. Yeah, you're doing some, hey, you're a, somebody in the industry. Maybe Halo is a good place for you. That's allowing you to take advantage of some of the goodwill that you built under your sure. personal brand in the years that you did the role you did. But now you're sitting at a table with someone who is a potential prospect and trying to understand from their mouths directly how the medium that we sell does or does not help them with the problems that they're facing in this moment. Right. Has it renewed your conviction in our medium? Has it eroded your conviction? Where, where in that process now, because you're, you're doing the thing as opposed to 
encouraging those of us who were responsible for doing it. How has your perspective changed? Well, I, I, I appreciate you making that, that differentiation between my role with Halo as, yes, how we, we grow through acquisition and organically. My focus is on the organic side of things. Like, how do we get our AEs, the ones that we have to be more successful? And I tend to be doing that by getting in front of their customers with them. The whole concept of, you know, when an AE introduces me and says, this is Paul, and he was the, uh, the CEO of our entire trade association, the first question really is, what's trade association? <laughs> and then I tell them, like, well, what industry are you in? Oh, you're a, a healthcare, like the AMA. I was the guy who, like, worked at the American Medical Association. And so they get that, but the, the, the truth is that I was an advocate for the products, like the, the, the idea of branded merchandise as a way to influence behaviors. Yep. And I, I think that my 20 years has given me something to say in that arena. And I think it's been effective. I believe in it. Look, I, um, I'm, a, I'm a user of products. I actually came back to my home. I was gone for a little bit. And I had these boxes that we send out. Uh-huh. to clients and potential clients, you know, the kitted boxes. Yep. And it was a holiday one. And I went through it and I was, I'm, I'm looking at my table here. I have all these things. <laughs> I'm like, this stuff is so cool. Right. And when I was with the association, I would get a lot of branded merchandise, but it was never really my brand. Now I'm getting things that have my brand on it too. And I'm very excited about it. So I do think it's, it's definitely transferable. The, the excitement that I feel for promotional products, I'm actually one step closer to the buyer now. And and I think that makes all, because I am one now. Sure. You know, so I, I think it, it makes a world. Promo products work. I think that our entire industry has shown that we can help solve problems. Think back a year ago into this pandemic when companies did not know how they were going to engage and motivate and recognize that those employees that they hadn't seen in nine months and would not see for another four or five months, we got really good at kidding. We got great at dropshipping. We got great at mail merge and personalizations on products. And right. we, we got really good at telling the story and showing up and earning, you know, earning the privilege to be doing business with them. Pure salesperson being that this is still the So You're in Sales podcast. The thing that always was more attractive to me in working with prospects and clients was tell me your problem. Don't tell me what you want to buy. Tell me your problem. Because our medium really does have a lot of malleability to it when it comes to the way we can adopt things we have to bear to the problems that our clients have. And I actually believe that our medium improved in importance during the pandemic because we were able to do things like extend a corporate culture into someone's living room in a way that a digital ad just can't do. Right. right? That we can create a recruiting engine that, produces products that reinforce the narrative of the values of the brand that's trying to recruit employees 
right. in a way that when they empty out their bag at the end of the day with all of the other things that they've gotten from everyone else, maybe our story does a better job of telling why that person would want to work for that specific company than anything else that happens to be in that bag at that moment. So yay us. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, but it, from a, a servicing your own account. So if you already had a customer, I think it became even more incumbent on us to be doing fact finds to existing customers as it is to do it with prospects. And we actually came up with a list. I worked with a couple of people on it of 20 questions to ask your current customers about their business. One, is your contact still there? Two, what other roles do they now have in the organization? Three, how have their customers changed? Four, do you still have budgets? All of the things that your competition is asking your customer, you need to be re-asking your customer. Don't take for granted that their businesses remain the same because they didn't. Are you working from home? How are you, how are you recognizing and, and rewarding your employees? You got to believe that a competitive distributor is asking those questions of your customers. So I feel like exactly what you said, we have a whole new set of problems that we need to solve right now. Don't sit around waiting for things to turn back to normal. They're not. We have new problems to solve. When we do this right, we earn every penny of the margin that we make. Every penny of it. And that's the piece that you you sit over there in that other chair and go, I don't know how these guys on the distributor side are able to bring in the margins that they're capable of doing. And yet a year later, you're sitting here going, geez, man, I think we're underpaid. (laughs) I think we're a little bit underpaid. We've earned every penny of it and and then some. Exactly. I've long preached the role of trust Mm -hmm. in the sales process and why you can scale your organization more quickly if you create a trust-based environment. What have been some of the more noteworthy approaches or things that you're seeing within your four walls that like, hey, salespeople, if you were only doing these three things, we've got all of these people here and here's some of those three things that they seem to be doing that make them successful, even in the pandemic. Big question. Halo as an organization is really a microcosm of the industry. We have those AEs, those you know, companies that came to us as companies through acquisitions. We have individual AEs that that have joined us. We have the ones that are selling a couple of hundred thousand dollars. We have those that are selling tens of millions. I think the ones that have done it successfully, and and I don't mean this to sound like a plug for this company, because I know we all have the capability of doing it, that are now reaching to the resources of the company and bringing them to that customer. We, we're fortunate. We have a, a halo recognition. We have our uniform division and we have our kitting and the warehousing and all those things. I think somebody who is just focusing on dropship, let's say just dropship business, and we're very successful in dropship, are finding a place in their conversations for the recognition and the uniforms. And they're asking questions differently So I would say that the successful um, AE at Halo are bringing in all of the resources to bear to help meet the need. I say that, now I'll put my industry hat on. 
those resources exist for every AE that's in the industry. Right. It doesn't have to be through one company because you can you can walk around the expo floor, you know, in a couple of weeks and go to brand and find the people who are doing recognition and go to the apparel companies and see what they have in terms of, of uniform um, uniforms. Right. Or go find those companies that do kidding and fulfillment. So we just happen to have it all within those sure. four walls, as you say. Yep. But I, I think the success is really by those who are bringing in resources that they never had to count on before. And maybe their customer didn't know to ask them about. And it really leads me to, um, to, to recall the conversation that I, I had the opportunity to have with Seth Godin about the value of a brand. And I, I think you recall this. He, he mentioned um, Nike, right? If Nike built a hotel, could you envision it? Right. And the answer is, yeah, like I can picture a Nike hotel. It'd be cool. It'd have a healthy restaurant. It would be great. Color. Be, you know, the people behind the desk would look like the United Nations It would be representative of everything. They'd have a great fitness center. <laughs> and then he said, um, think of another great brand, Hyatt. Would you think of Hyatt? Can you think of a Hyatt running shoe? Hmm. The answer is no. Right. It doesn't mean they're not a great brand and it doesn't mean that they're not a trusted brand. But how you how you put those into the marketplace make all the difference in the world. So if you have the trust and you have the brand, ask the next question. And for me, you know, as I contemplate thinking about right. So what you were saying is, so they they watch you in. Here's the guy. He used to be the guy. And the first thing that the person on the other side of the table says is so. So, but I, that, what a great start! Right? Don't you wish that you can start every conversation with so instead of no or so. Like, so what? Isn't that, that's where the, money, the rubber meets the road is on the so what? Well, whether you're the former president of the industry's trade association for 20 years or a sales rep for an organization, it's your responsibility to be able to answer that question. That's, that's right. And if you can't reliably answer it, then the likelihood of them seeing them in your hotel yeah. is pretty unlikely. And that's where really for me, I think, and this is where I wanted to ask you the question. All right. So 21's behind us. We're not going to do the same thing like before. Like, forget about what happened this year. It's been an interesting ride. Some people are doing great. Some people are doing terrible. A lot of people have said, I was going to retire anyway. Maybe that's the thing for me. Yep. For the rest of us who are going to be left around, as we go into 22, if Uncle Paul's back giving his sage advice around, like, what are some of the things that you would want folks have in their mind on as they're clinking their glasses and singing all Lang Syne uh, come one one twenty two. I don't know what I would recommend to other people, but I do know what I'm going to be thinking about. And it's about remaining flexible. It's about not being so entrenched in a belief, which sounds so counter to everything that everybody's so entrenched in their beliefs. So take the politics out of it. Right. But not being so entrenched in a way of doing business that it becomes limiting to to you. I mean, I I look at this pandemic. We are on now, you know, we're we're approaching two years. So we're probably on month twenty-one of this thing. Yes. We are in month twenty one. If we knew if I knew personally that this thing was going to last 21 months, I probably would have thrown in a towel and done something completely different. But 
what I did, and I think what our industry did is we took it in chunks and we remained really flexible. And it's like, oh, you're going to throw a pandemic at us? You know, great. You know, oh, you're going to throw some supply chain at us? We're, we're in for it. You're going to throw us some inflation? I got there. Oh, you're going to take all my employees and make it so I can't afford them? I'll take it out. Yeah. And I think that by remaining flexible, we've been able to deal with these things as they've come to us. Yeah. Whereas if we had to deal with all of it, you know, if we knew that we were going to be dealing with all of these things that the past 21 months has brought us all at once, I don't know that we'd have as many companies being viable in this as, as we currently do. People would have thrown in the towel and taken that early retirement much, much sooner. So from my perspective, if anybody takes any counsel from it, remain flexible because I don't think we're at the end of it. I think there's going to be something else in three months and something else in three months. The supply chain issues may work themselves out and inflation will ultimately even out a little bit and, and the labor force will, will normalize a little bit. Something else is going to come. So just remain flexible. We've made it 21 months, right? 21 months. This is, I would have never thought it. Somebody said, yeah, it's going to be a two-year pandemic. We'd be having the uh, promo on the road Costa Rica reunion. That's right. In the, uh, in the rainforest because we just decided enough was enough. And yet, you know, over the course of our discussions, there's been trade wars with China and there's been, uh, you know, uh, uh, all of this concern about uh, suppliers going direct. And, you know, it, it, there's it, no matter what's happened, it's the thing you used to always say when you were president. It's like we've gone through wars. We've gone through all kinds of tragedies and we've managed a way to somehow come out the other side of it. We just did them in a condensed version. I keep talking about when there's a dynamic changing uh, economy, there's there's gaps that arrive. And it's in those gaps where the entrepreneurs create solutions that fill those gaps. Yeah. And that's usually where the outsized success starts to reveal, reveal itself. And that's, I think, where the friction we feel as a group is we sense the opportunity because we see the gaps and we know that there's solutions that we could bring to bear. It's the, the screwdriver and the hammer. We don't have any screws. We don't have any nails. We're missing wood. You know, all of the traditional materials we may have used to build that solution are absent us. Right. And what I've been so astonished and amazed to watch is well, we just created plastic out of algae, and now we're using that as our building material because we couldn't get the wood, right? right? And it's that ingenuity that I like to celebrate, and I think that there's way more of that going on in our space than we give ourselves credit for, Paul. I really do. And, and in our space, and even broader than that, it goes back to the, all those people who are becoming entrepreneurs. They're finding solutions to solve. I admire that. I am not as entrepreneurial as you might think. I seemed entrepreneurial because I was able to sit back, work on our business, kind of find solutions for different things. But I had always had the luxury of doing that with somebody else's money. Sure. Right. I, I, it was a nice salary that gave me the luxury of being able to look at the world the way that I did. I'm feeling a little bit more entrepreneurial now in, in this new role. But I do admire those people who are out there on their own time and their own dime, finding ways to fill those gaps. Yep. You're bringing up a good point. All right. So I am going to, uh, I'm going to assume the sale 
I'm going to pre-reserve you a calendar date sometime this week in December of next year. Yeah. What do you think we're going to be talking about? I hope we're not talking about that we've gone through this pandemic for 33 months and how long it is. I, I think we're going to be looking, like right now, I think we're still in it. Yeah. But I think that we're going to be patting ourselves on the back a little bit and, and really talk about how we should be celebrating that we made it, that we're here another year, that our industry is still healthy, that we found ways to to grow and protect people's businesses. You know, we'll, we'll be talking about how even through a pandemic and some difficult time, people cared about social issues and quality products that don't just become landfill. I think that those things that used to be fringe are going to be solidified into our way of doing business. And the fact that we did that in spite of everything that's going on, we will be celebrating that a little bit. Okay, so why that makes me excited is you and I for years had to sit here and lament about the way that we always had to catch up with what was going on. Yeah. And for once, we got ourselves ahead of something. We did. And maybe finally, because we were willing to put in the effort on the front side and look at the horizon and say, hey, there might be a way for us to do a few things here in this environment. You never know. It's, it's kind of like playing roulette. You don't know what part of the board the ball is going to land, but you, you're making your bets and you're trying to see if your hunch is going to play out. And in this instance, right, I, I'm present company included, I had no way of knowing that these things were going to turn out the way they did when I made the decision to try to get ahead of some of these things. But boy, I'm feeling really proud of myself for having done that opportunity. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to su succeed while others fail. What I think it does is it gives us the opportunity to be seen as a little bit more of an expert in this topic sure. than maybe other folks who would um, be asked about a similar uh, set of questions. But to me, things like, will a trade show happen in an exhibition hall or will it happen on a pair of VR glasses be the thing someday? And we've, you and I have posited this question numerous times. I think we're closer to knowing that now than we were 22 months ago or however long ago. Absolutely. Look at, go, I'll go back to the association a little bit. And you start looking at the profiles of some of the board members that we bring on. And, and I'm going to mention some of this. You have Danny Rosen, who brought the social good of building communities. It wasn't just some fringe element of the industry that was poking up at the board. It, it was a, a, a radical proponent of it, seated in the room as, as a voice. I look at Denise Tershro from Canada and the work that she does in, in choosing clients who share the same goals and philosophies, whether it be about product or about society. And she's now embedded in that board. She's on the board. It used to be that there was a 20-year lag between what was happening outside the industry to, for it to make its way to the industry. We are neck and neck right now with, with retail and other marketplaces in ways that I think that the, the, the pandemic... I think we, we all feel we're kind of doubling down on some things. Like, I feel importantly about this. I recognize business and life is fragile. I'm not going to um, just, you know, give it side trip. 
No more shitty promo, Paul. No more shitty promo. I can say that now. No more <laughs> damn shitty promo. Stop doing that. Finally, I'm going to get you a T-shirt. I used to no be able to. Say, I used to have to say there is no shitty promo. Just mis- <laughs> misappropriated promo. No more. No more shitty. Well, there you have it. So that that comprises that which will be the audio portion of our discussion. I. I'm so grateful for oh, you. Oh, great. That's what they're going to just keep hearing. <laughs> no shitty promo. That's the way we finish this. There's there's yeah. no better way to finish this thing than to tell the people, look, you can do it better. We have a responsibility to our clients and the environment to do so. We've never been more poised to be seen as a leader in the marketplace for advertising spend when it comes to this discussion point. So let's just use it to our advantage. Let's let it be our strategic advantage when it's important. And it will continue to allow us the opportunity to regain those lost margin share dollars that we lost when we went from 24 million to 19 million. And yeah. thank God for PPE because it would have been way worse than that. Look, we're all, we're all stuck in our home. What other media besides Netflix, which is subscription based, made it into our homes? made it into homes with the impact of promotional products. Name one for me. Not a one, sir. And that didn't happen. I'm clipping that piece out and using that for my clients. (laughs) There you go. This has been fun. I wish you a a very, very happy holidays. Um, And I'll, I'll see you in a little bit at Expo. See you in just about a month, my friend. Take care. This has been really fun for me to be able to, bring Paul onto the show with the regularity that I've been able to do. And I know that there was a lot of pent up demand and anticipation over whether or not Paul was going to join me again this year. So I just wanted to say thanks to Paul. Thanks to all of you for listening to the show. You know, it's really your loyalty to the program that keeps me doing it. And, uh, you know, the numbers of listens uh, bounce all over the place during the course of the year. But I hear from many of you about the topics and the guests that I bring onto the program. And it's your reinforcement of the work that we do on the So You're in Sales podcast that keeps me motivated to continue to bring new and interesting guests onto the program for topics specific to what it means to be successful as a salesperson in the world today. So Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We look forward to seeing all of you in 2022. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Have a prosperous holiday season, and we look forward to talking to you in 2022.